What's going on, everyone? Thank you for joining us today in this episode of the Mindset Podcast. We had the honor and the pleasure of interviewing Brian Gaudio. Brian Gaudio is a CEO and founder of his own company called Module Housing. If you want to go ahead and look him up, fascinating, fascinating idea. He's definitely changing the way that real estate is done. It's convenient, it's easy, and it's cheap. You know, words that are not very common in the real estate world, if you know what I'm talking about. But he's changing the game. He's only in Pittsburgh right now. I believe he also expanded out in Seattle, Washington. Uh, so those are the only places where he's manufacturing these homes as of now. But once, you know, people start catching on to this, it's going to spread like wildfire. I'm telling you, this idea that Brian had, this module housing idea, is really innovative and is very, very fresh. And a lot of millennials especially are going to be buying some of these homes in the near future. We had a great conversation. Brian has a very interesting story of how he got started, how he got the spark and the interest to start this company. And I hope you all enjoy it. So stay tuned. What's up, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Mindset Podcast. Today, we are joined by Brian Gaudio. Brian is the co-founder and CEO of Module, a company that is truly revolutionizing home living and design in the 21st century. Without further ado, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure having you, Brian. And we have two warm-up questions for you. One of them, I don't think, Gabe, have we asked the first one before? I don't think so. So this is going to be an interesting one. (laughs) All right. So let's see what we get. So Brian, first one's for you. What was your most embarrassing moment growing up? Hmm. You know, I feel like growing up, I went to, so I went to school um, at a Montessori school growing up and So it was like, it's not your typical, like from, I think, kindergarten to fourth grade or third grade, I went to Montessori school. So it's like learning by doing a very different, you know, environment than just sitting at a desk and learning. Um, But I remember on recess, one one day on recess, I was running around on recess and there was this kid, this this kid who was, um, I forget his name, maybe it was Liam or something. He was like an older brother of someone in our class and he was running around terrorizing. He always terrorized us younger kids on the playground. (laughs) And I asked my mom, I was like, what do I do? Like, what do I do? Liam's like, he's a bully and and he chases me on the playground. I was like, and she said, well, if you stop, if you stop running, he won't chase you. I was like, oh, that's actually a good idea. (laughs) So one day, um, you know, he's chasing us around and I, I stop running and then he turns around and he just socks me in the face. <laughs> and, I was, and I, and I went back, I was obviously, I was like super, I was probably crying and I came back and I told my mom, like, I did exactly what you told me to do, but it didn't work. And I was, <laughs> yeah, I think that got it. That had to be really embarrassing, you know, to be like the kid on the playground. So, oh man. I that's, wonder. <laughs> that's one. I, I could probably think of others. Oh my God. I wonder what your mom would have thought at that at that point in time once you told her hey mom I, I took your advice but it didn't quite work out as as you thought it might oh man those are awesome I, I i can probably think of so many right now of my childhood but wow all right second warm-up question um before we get into some of things is brian what did you want to be growing up i know for a lot of entrepreneurs we don't necessarily grew up wanting to be an entrepreneur we kind of just stumble upon it by trade what was something that you wanted to be while you were little um you know when I was very little 
I wanted to be a major league baseball player and I wanted to be an astronaut. Those were like definitely the first two things that I wanted to be. Um, but then in the fourth grade is when I decided that I wanted to become an architect. So mm -hmm. I, for the very first time, like my family was on vacation we visited, we went to go visit this house, um, famous house that was designed by a famous architect named Frank Lloyd Wright. And I was really upset. I was like, why the hell are we going to see this house? Like, we should <laughs> yeah. run vacation. I should be playing mini golf. Um, or like, you know, we should be doing something fun, but right. my parents dragged me to this house and I was like, I was amazed by it. I was fascinated by it. And I walked out of that, like, I don't know, it was probably like an hour tour of the house. And I was like, all right, I'm going to become an architect when I grow up. So that's, wow. that was fourth grade. Well, how, how old are, how old are fourth graders? I mean, how old are we, how old are we talking? <laughs> you know, like probably 10 like 10, yeah, probably 10, 10 years 10. old. Wow, so you're saying that you walk in, you did the tour, one hour tour, cool, you didn't want to go, you come outside of the tour, and bam, just like that, you knew you wanted to be an architect. Yeah, that was it. I was like, did my fourth grade report on, like, what is, what is it, who is Frank Lloyd Wright, who is this architect, and then just wow. from there on, just... Was, was there something you saw in the house that really moved you? Was there a, a story? Was it the architect himself, or was it the architecture of the house? Um, it was all like in the house, there's this pattern, these hexagons. Mm -hmm. So these hexagon lights and the kitchen is a hexagon. So it's very like, it was something I'd never mm -hmm. seen before. And I think in fourth grade, we did, you know, geometry class. We learned geometry uh -huh. and shapes and I, and I like drawing and I was like, I put two and two together. And I think that was really striking was all these, like, I could see all the patterns that mm -hmm. were popping up throughout the house. Wow. Um, interesting. <laughs> what wow, a way to good. use what you yeah what a way to use what you learn in school in the classroom and apply it to real life that's awesome um yeah, go, uh, pretty cool Logan, my fourth yeah. grade. cool that's crazy let me let me ask you since fourth grade like until now did you have any other thought of being something else or were you like a hundred percent set on i'm gonna be an architect and like no looking back um i mean i wanted to be a baseball player so got you my entire life um so I played it in, you know, from a little kid, growing up playing t-ball, played in high school, um, played, you know, fall, played, you know, in, I live in Pittsburgh, so we couldn't play really in the winter time, but you play yeah. in the fall, you play in the spring, you play in the summer, mm -hmm. and then you train in the winter. Um, so I love playing baseball and wanted to play in college and I could have played at some like D you know, some smaller schools like division three or division two. Um, and ended up playing a year of club baseball. So not like a, you know, varsity sport, but a club sport at NC state. Right. Right. Um, so that was, that was fun. Um, and I, I also got to play on a softball team in the Dominican Republic. Um, mm -hmm. So I spent a year living there on a local team at the, at the university. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, I always wanted to be a baseball player, realized that like, you know, I didn't, I wasn't fast enough. I played outfield, so I wasn't fast mm -hmm. enough. I couldn't hit for enough power. Uh, could have done it in college, but you know, decided that there were other things that were more important, I guess. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Life, life took you a different way and here we are today. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. right. Awesome. Wow. So let's jump into it now. 
Um, so tell us your story. You're, you're a very interesting guy. You have a very interesting story. You're the CEO of Module, a very successful entrepreneur. We'll get to what Module is now in a second, but I'm curious to know, how did you get to where you are today? Um, I guess, you know, I, I always, like I said, I always wanted to be an architect. So from fourth grade through high school, I took as many classes, tried to learn as much as I could about what it was photography classes, you know, did some summer programs, Carnegie Mellon, which is based here in Pittsburgh, they have a very good school of architecture. So I did some summer programs there. So I went to school for architecture. Um, and I think in college, I started to learn about like some of the things I maybe didn't like about architecture. Mm -hmm. um, you see some of the the downside of this thing that I always wanted to be since I was little and and some of the downsides were you know that architecture people have this idea of what an architect is and you've probably seen them in movies right and you think they carry around mm -hmm. these pens and they're like which I have on <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're like masters of the universe and they're thinking and drawing things but most people who work as an architect don't have the you know they're not designing the next Guggenheim Museum, right? They're working at a small firm and they're, they're not necessarily doing the same things that you dream about doing. Um, and what I started to learn was like, architects used to have a lot more influence over what we call the built environment, meaning buildings or spaces. Mm -hmm. And over time, they really became less and less important um, in the in the world of building things like they used to run the project architect means master builder architecton and now they're just kind of a sub consultant so they're like mm -hmm. the developer he has all the money right he or she has all the money the developer they control the project the big contractors in the city they have the ear of the developer right and they're like all right we're going to build this this and this okay let's bring on an architect to figure out what it's going to look like on the outside right so the architects weren't at the big they weren't at the table when things were really being created. Mm -hmm. And I was frustrated by that. Um, that was one thing I was frustrated by. And the other thing I was frustrated by was um, <clears throat> the fact that not many people can afford to hire an architect to design their house. And I thought that that wasn't right. You know, why was it? There's this mm -hmm. statistic that only 2% of the homes in the United States are designed mm -hmm. by an architect. Mm -hmm. And that always baffled me. So that those two pieces mm -hmm. of, you know, those two facts made me think about, okay, what other paths could I pursue to pursue design, but maybe not necessarily be an architect. Um, so, you know, with that, instead of trying to become a licensed architect and going through the track, I was always working on other stuff in school. Um, so I traveled to the Dominican Republic, you know, I met one of your previous podcast guests, Danny Rodriguez there. And I did a lot of work in like, I'll call it social impact. So how do we make the world a better place? And so traveled, um, took students with me from North Carolina. I went to NC State. We traveled to the Dominican Republic and it was a cultural immersion program where you learn about, you know, folks from the rural Dominican Republic and it's this exchange mm -hmm. program. So I started that and I found ways to scratch the itch of like, okay, how do we make the world a better place? Mm -hmm. um, I also, you know, did some non-traditional design stuff. I ended up working at Walt Disney Imagineering, interning there in their blue sky department, designing the Disney theme parks. Oh. Um, so working on really interesting, fun, creative um, projects. You know, we were, the question we were answering 
wasn't like, how are we going to design this building? It was what in five years, what experiences can we bring to the Disney parks that will blow, you know, visitors' minds? Um, so it was always looking at these kind of outskirts of, of traditional architecture. Um, and I think that allowed me to develop my own voice and my own interests. And eventually what I was able to do is blend the creativity that I loved about architecture and design with trying to bring impact to the world. I, I realized that there are ways to actually mesh those two worlds together um, to work on, on, you know, on a vocation, I guess. Wow, that's really interesting. Brian, let me, let me ask you, when did it, if there was even a moment, I don't know if this happened over time or if it was like one day it just clicked, when, when you really realized, all right, I love building, I love designing, I love this architecture you know, industry, but I also love the social impact. Was it in the DR where you thought of this, this concept of module of bringing both worlds together? Was it when you were at NC State talking with some buddies? What, like, when did it click for you that you're like, okay, I need to take this architect, the definition of architect to a different level, right? I need to be there at the table from the beginning. Yeah, so I, I think early in my years at NC State, and I know you mentioned some of your listeners are in college or just finished college, and like, I feel like I learned as much as I could outside of class. I mm -hmm. took as many independent studies as you could take. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, one of my independent studies was with this guy named Henry Stanoff, who was the founder of like participatory design, meaning that in the typical world, the architect sits at his table with his pen and he's like, okay, I'm going to dream up what this neighborhood needs to look like. But participatory design says, we're not, you know, we're going to give the pen to a hundred different people in the neighborhood and they're going to write down their ideas for what the neighborhood needs to be. So he was, you know, that's an oversimplification, but he started this movement called participatory design. So one of my professors said, you should go talk to that guy. And he was, like a professor emeritus, so he was sort of semi-retired, but he lived in um, in Raleigh in the city. And so I would go and, and meet with him on like a monthly basis. We would sit down and talk. And he was, he had sort of charted his own path where he used to work for Frank Lloyd Wright, so one of the most famous mm -hmm. architects in the world. Wow. And he said, you know, I'm done with this. And he moved to Trenchtown, Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And he started doing what he thought was necessary. He started basically going around to these rural neighborhoods and trying to understand like the quality of housing that was in those areas and documenting that. And do people have sanitary and do people have sewer and what kind of house do they have? And he basically charted his own path in the world of architecture. And so he was a mentor of mine and helped me realize that that's okay. You know, you don't have to go design the next museum. You can use your skills mm -hmm. in other ways. So I think mm -hmm. those courses and, and meetings that I had with him really opened my eyes that I could mesh these two worlds together. They weren't separate. Mm -hmm. Very interesting how you did that, how you pieced it together. You piece what you love, your passion, what you, what you really wanted to do in life with a good cause. And then I always, I always talk, I talk to Gabe about this a lot. When you mix those two together, greatness happens. Great things come from that. But now that we're on the topic, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your experience in South America with affordable housing? Uh, for those who know me, I want to be hopefully a politician one day or go into the politic realm. And I want to focus on affordable housing, specifically down here in Miami, which is a, a big problem. So why don't you share with us, what was your experience like with affordable housing in South America? Yeah, so, so Henry Sanoff, that sort of mentor of mine, helped me create my own research studies while I was at NC State. So I traveled to the Dominican and I would research a topic in the Dominican Republic. And it could have been about community development or about affordable housing and, and mm -hmm. cost of housing in those areas. So I started to learn how to like go to a different place, 
learn about it, document it, and then say, so why does this matter? So at the end of my time at NC State, in my last year of NC State, they had this travel fellowship. Um, so someone had graduated years ago, who became a famous architect, they donated to the school and they started this fellowship. Basically, I think it was $5,000 and you can go anywhere in the world and study architecture after you graduate. Wow. So, nice. <laughs> yeah, so a friend and I applied for it and we said, we're gonna go to where there is architecture without architects. We're gonna go to these places in South America, like the barrios, the favelas, the, you know, like these informal settlements where there aren't many architects working, but there's this really interesting things happening with housing. And we ended up getting that grant mm -hmm. and we were going to go to South America. So we picked out five cities, Rio, Santiago, Sao Paulo, Lima, and Bogota. Five cities. We wanted to go study particular neighborhoods in those cities where some people were just building really interesting housing on their own. And then sometimes architects were going to do work in there. And then we calculated the plane ticket cost. And we're like, well, damn, this is like the cost of flying to all these cities and the cameras, it's gonna be $10,000, we only have $5,000. So what are we gonna do? Um, so we called up the Dean of the architecture school, we're like, hey, we need another $5,000. That's not, we're not gonna give that to you. So we had to get creative and we created a, a Indiegogo, so a crowdfunding campaign. Mm. Um, but if people are going to give us money to do something, we needed to provide something of value to them. So we said, why don't we go, we're going to go interview all these people. We're going to go shoot photographs and video of all this stuff. Why don't we make a documentary about it? So we said, sure, let's do it. So then we raised another $5,000 and then we went down there and we shot this documentary film. So we interviewed over 40 builders, designers, governments about affordable housing, about what architects were doing in those neighborhoods. Um, so that was really eye-opening. It was really inspiring to see all these really awesome projects that were happening in South America because you always hear about innovation in the United States, but there was a lot of really interesting innovation happening there. So we shot the film, edited it ourselves, you know, it took two years for us to do this. It was something we would do on the weekends. Wow. Um, but one of the ideas from that film was called Incremental Housing, mm -hmm. which was basically like, buy the amount of house you need today so it could be a, literally one room and then add stories or add rooms as you get more money i thought wow that's a brilliant idea right pay as you go but for housing so that was the idea that initially from that film that inspired me to start module wow wow that's that's such an interesting perspective is that documentary available somewhere where like people can go and watch it or I don't know if it's like on Netflix or Hulu or one of those. That'd be pretty cool, but yeah, the the film is called uh, the film's called Within Formal Cities. Okay. And the trailers on the trailers there online, and then if people want to want a copy, they can contact me and I can share that with them. But but yeah, we screened it in I think twenty cities. We didn't physically go to all the screenings, but we screened it, and it was it was really fun. Well. Well, I mean, first of all, thank you for that, because I feel like that's something that uh, isn't as talked about as necessary. And uh, you definitely brought awareness to the affordable housing in those different cities. I'm from Brazil. My family's from Brazil. I was born here in Miami, um, but almost all of my family is from Sao Paulo more specifically. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about when you talk about those favelas and just, uh, you know, the impoverished, you know, communities in those cities um, that need architecture and architects to, to be building out those homes. 
Um, but on the subject of module, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what it is? What's the business model? How does it work? If I go on your website, do, is it like a, like an e-commerce that I just kind of purchase a home and you build it out in the next day or tell, walk us through the, the process of, of purchasing a home with you guys? Yeah. So the goal of modules to bring good design to more people. So the quality of you get with an architect for a price point that, you know, that the average customer can afford. So our goal is to provide, you know, sustainable entry level housing around the United States. Um, and so how we work is essentially we have standard designs on our website. And if you go to modulehousing.com, you can check out those designs and you can browse which floor plan fits your needs. The, the floor plans are right, we call them right size. They're not very, they're not too big um, because we're trying to keep the cost down. We're trying to make sure that, you know, one challenge we see in the housing industry is that homes have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And really that just causes us to buy more stuff. And so mm -hmm. we're trying to have right-sized homes that are super energy efficient. So you can add solar panels to your house and be net zero, meaning you can like be push. You don't have to pay for um, utilities at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but they're built using prefab construction, which mm -hmm. means part of the home is built in a factory, shipped on a truck, and installed with a crane. Um, in and that's called modular construction. And the reason why we use it is because it's kind of where the future of construction is heading. Mm -hmm. um, we build pretty much everything else in a factory, you know, phones, we build cars in a factory, we build consumer products in a factory and construction is sort of the last industry that's really not, you know, built in a factory. So we know that that's where the yeah. industry is headed. And so we're leveraging that. It's kind of an advanced construction technology um, to deliver our homes. And, and so right now we're live in Pittsburgh. So if you're in Pittsburgh, you can go on our website, you click on one of our houses, then you can fill out a form, say, Hey, here's my budget. This is the house that I want. Here's where I want to live. And then we will take you through the process of building that home turnkey. If you're in another city, um, we're just starting to expand outside of Pittsburgh. So we're building our first home outside of Pittsburgh in Seattle, Washington, actually. Um, so in that case, again, you sort of go through our website, you, you see the, you know, one of our standard floor plans, and then we share with you the specifications, which means like what kind of washer and dryer, what kind of flooring mm -hmm. you want, and we help you make those selections. And then um, you'll have to finance the home. So it's not like you can click, you know, we are building out sort of that e-commerce experience with the home configurator where you can play around kind of like the Tesla website, right? And yeah. try on yeah. different things. But the reality is you're not going to get out your credit card and say, all right, I'm going to buy a house today. That doesn't work. Right. So um, the other, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brian. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, um, so while we're integrating sort of this digital experience, we call it a human-centered home building experience, mm -hmm. we're learning that with a product that's really the most expensive purchase of your life, it's really a challenging mm -hmm. product to make sort of e-commerce ready, if you will. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So the other day, Brian, I, I went ahead and I went online. I w looked up a company called Indochi Indochino. It's a, they do custom suits. So I went on and I customized my own suit. I picked the fabric. I picked the size I wanted. Uh, I picked out how I wanted it to be delivered. Is it almost the same way? Is that what you're saying? You go onto your website, module.com, and you pick the layout, the flooring, how many rooms. Is that the same case? Yeah, we have essentially the same way where you're going to our website, modulehousing.com, you select your mm -hmm. floor plan. And then there's, we actually have a configurator at the bottom. You can check that out. It's a beta 
So we haven't rolled out the full digital platform, but there's a beta at the bottom, the home configurator, and you can try on different like kitchen backsplashes or you can try on wow. different pouring options and things wow. like that. But, mm -hmm. and, then and, you can, and what are, yeah, go ahead, Brian, sorry. Well, and then you place a deposit to get started. So you don't like say, all right, right. I'm going to buy the whole house. You put right. down a deposit. <laughs> right, you. right. And how is, when, when you talk with real estate professionals in the Pittsburgh area, which is where you guys started, what are they saying about this? What are realtors saying about this? I'm a realtor myself. My parents have a real estate company. So I'm in that real estate world. I'm curious, do realtors have any role in this part? Um, they do. So one of our employees actually got licensed as an agent here in Pittsburgh. And so he actually is our sort of sales expert here in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, at the beginning, there's a lot of tech companies out there. And Anthony, you probably are aware of all the tech companies, you know, yeah. Redfin and all these groups. And they're trying right. to like, a lot of them are trying to disrupt how real estate brokerage is done, right? Well, yeah, Dad, right. you're going to have to pay 3%. You know, how can we right. get along? Right. And what we've found is that, you know, realtors, it's the customers that come to our website and fill out a form and give us their budget. If they're represented by a realtor, they're likely more serious than those who aren't represented by realtors. Um, Interesting. You know, if you've signed a contract with a realtor, then you're like, all right, I need to get in a house in the next three months. Right. 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 Those, there's a lot of people that are just browsing and thinking about buying a house. So what we oh. found is that if you're represented by a realtor, you're probably a more serious customer. Right. And, and you know, realtors are a great source of opportunities uh, for us, right? If enough realtors in the Pittsburgh market know about module and know that we have a good reputation or, you know, if we have a realtor in Miami, for example, who says, you know, I, I know these guys module and I think they built great work, then they're often local advocates, right? They're advocates mm -hmm. for the consumer. So, so we work with realtors, um, you know, someone who just bought the house, one of the homes that we just built was represented by a realtor. And, and I think it's an, you know, it's part of the process of, of buying a home in the United States being represented by a realtor. So I think some realtors were skeptical because they were, they heard the term modular construction. Right. And sometimes people hear that and they think, Oh, it must be a trailer home, but right. our homes are far from that. Right. right. Um, they're built much better quality than your average home builder. Um, and they're built much faster too. So a lot of realtors who had never been in a home that was built in a factory walked through our houses and they, they were said, wow, this is really well built. It feels really mm -hmm. solid in here. It feels mm -hmm. beautiful. The amount of natural light, it, it feels really nice. So I think they were impressed when we did an open house, some of the mm -hmm. local agents here in, in Pittsburgh. I, I can definitely see why some realtors might be turned off by the idea of this modular home being built in a factory. It just seems you know, especially here in Miami, I don't know how familiar you are with the real estate market down here, but it's like, we don't have any, like ha have any of that here in Miami. It's like literally either ginormous homes or ginormous condo building. It's like, you can't like, they're just building up nowadays. Like you can't even find any space, any land to buy anything anymore. But more specifically with what you're doing from what it sounds like is like, not necessarily, but in most cases, if I were just to browse on your website, to your point, you're you're pretty much skipping out you're like you're skipping the middleman you know, the real estate uh agent doesn't even need to be there for the transaction i know you mentioned that it's more it, it looks like more of a serious customer when they are represented because i'm sure many people just go on your website just you know to to shop online or to just you know check it out and see what your concept is but i can see why they might you know if they're not completely convinced or they're not fully educated on what your concept is and what it offers 
I can definitely see why they might be turning away and might be turned off by the, by the idea. Yeah. I mean, we had a client come in, um, through our website, right. And they, and they, they checked out our models and they contacted us. They called us up and they said, you know, this is our budget. We're looking to buy a house and they weren't represented by a realtor. And we're going to be building a couple of homes here in Pittsburgh, just around the corner. We haven't even closed on the land yet. And they weren't represented by a realtor. They came in, they said, wow, we, you know, they toured our house. They loved it. They saw our website. They've, they've been familiar with our product. Follow us on Instagram. And they came in without a realtor. And because we have one of our employees is a licensed agent in Pennsylvania, he was able to take them through the process. Mm. And now they've signed an agreement and we're going to build them a house. And we haven't even bought the land yet that we were going to buy the land, build the house and put it on the market. But people right. came to our website, you know, these qualified leads came through our website and, and um, because we have a realtor on, on staff, he's able to wow. kind of really push them through the process. So that was, that wow. was good. Wow. That is work you're doing. I can't wait for you guys to come down here in Miami and start building some of that in Miami. Um, I think there's definitely a market for that. I think the, the whole real estate industry is going to change. It has to change. It's been too much of the traditional um, things already. So I, I do see the future in what you're doing. Yeah, I think there's a, you know, consumers, consumers, meaning homeowners and home buyers, they deserve better is, is how I think about it. A lot of real estate is built as kind of a, you know, I think about housing is the number one goal of a house should be to shelter. It should be shelter for the person living. Mm -hmm. right? That's like the number one goal. And, you know, there's other goals, right? Okay. The builder wants to make money on it and, you know, they want to have a really beautiful house. But the number one thing is that building housing should be shelter for people. Mm -hmm. But I think in the real estate industry in the last, I don't know, 30 years, we've realized that real estate is a way to make money. And you have home, you know, we have so many shows on HGTV about flipping houses and oh my God, you can get rich, you know, yeah, buying yeah, and selling yeah. houses. And I yeah. think that puts the kind of general like psyche of America in this idea that housing is a way to make money. Hmm. But that sometimes leaves out the people that are going to live in those houses, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, ah, you know what, let's leave that. There's this, we know there's that problem in the bathroom, but patch it up the drywall. Just the next person's going to have to worry about that. Yeah. And that's not good. That's shitty. Yeah. Right? That's a shitty experience for the, the person that's going to move in there. So our company, you know, we call it human centered home building because we take a lot of the idea of product design and, mm -hmm. and, you know, the user research that you put into designing a product into a house. Yeah. And we really care about the occupant, the person that's going to live there. Do they have the, the, the best customer experience buying the house? And then once they're living in that house, you know, we want that experience to be far better because I think there's a lot that, that the current industry leaves to be desired with how we buy and sell homes and the quality that we're putting out in the market. Mm -hmm. So we want to change that. We want to be the industry standard that people look to, you know, like, oh, wow, have you guys heard about that company module? They're doing things the right way. They're sourcing sustainable materials. They're working with, you know, women and minority owned contractors that are building their homes. So they're providing jobs for people. And um, those are the things that we want to bring into the industry that I think is, is really lacking. Yeah, absolutely. I know we were, you touched on the subject of making money, you know, with investment properties or what's up, whatnot. Is there any sort of investment opportunity with module? Have you ever had a customer that comes to you that wants to build out a home just to rent it out to a tenant? Can, has that happened before? 
Yeah. So we have a client like in Seattle right now, a client who's building a two bedroom sort of he'll use it, but he'll rent it out for the most part as a vacation rental unit. So mm. there are a couple of clients that are working with us on rental housing. Um, it's less common, but we will do that. Yeah. For, for customers. So mm. interesting. Interesting. Brian, this whole concept, it just boggles my mind. It's so interesting. I can't believe that no one else has hopped on this yet, but I'm sure you come across some obstacles along the way. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? What was maybe one of the biggest obstacles you guys faced early on? I know you guys are still in, you know, the earlier phases of your company you might still be in the startup phase, but what, what was some of the bigger obstacles that you guys had to, uh, maybe jump across, you know, when, when launching module? Um, and one thing, as you mentioned, you know, the, that we're early in this, but there's actually a lot of companies out there working on using prefab construction to, to sort of have the next generation of homes, right? Be the Tesla of home building. So there's actually a ton of companies out there. I could probably, if I put my mind to it, I could probably name 20 that are wow. basically wow. saying the way we build homes. Like I think Lennar is Lennar have a big Miami presence. Yes. Huge, huge. Yeah. So like Lennar is one of the top home builders in the country, right? And they've been doing it and they've been making money, but there's a lot of people who are saying, you know what, there's gotta be a better way to deliver homes than the typical way we're building them, right? We go buy lumber at the lumber yard, we go buy a bunch of plots and we put it up one at a time. So there's a ton of companies that are thinking about how do we industrialize the construction process, I mean, put it in a factory to deliver it faster, better, cheaper. So there's probably 20 startups who, you know, and there's one mega startup called Katera that's raised over a billion dollars. They're backed by SoftBank, their vision fund. Um, so there's a ton of companies in the space who are like, wow, housing is a $33 trillion industry and we're building stuff the same way since we've been building it since 1950. There's got to be a better way. How do we use tools and technology to do that? So there's a bunch of companies out there. Challenge we've had is, um, you know, we, we, st we went through these accelerator programs. We went through something called Techstars, which is a startup accelerator. And we, because we wanted to start a business, we went through these accelerated programs. I was a first time entrepreneur. I, I don't know how to start a business, right? So these programs helped you, they give you mentorship, they introduce you to investors. But a lot of those programs introduce companies to a lot of venture capital investors. And they sort of, sort of like, okay, the goal of a successful company is to go raise a bunch of money and get on TechCrunch and announce your latest funding round. And I think, we were basically trying to sell, I'm trying to think of a good example. It's like trying to sell hot cocoa in Miami. It's like, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, great, it doesn't work. Um, so we were having a lot of conversations with these venture capital investors and they wanna invest in software companies that have really high margins, like 80% mm -hmm. gross margins. And we're like, well, we could probably pump out 50% margin and, you know, we are selling a home to a customer. So it's a really expensive product, right? Versus like a $7.99 a month. It's yeah. like, oh, going to be $300,000. So we were, our business model was really differentiated, sort of a future oriented home builder, right? Using digital tools, using prefab construction. And we were pitching all these venture capital investors and we weren't really talking to the right kind of capital. So that was really challenging because we ended up getting some success and raising a little bit of money from some of these groups. But at the end of the day, we were trying to fit ourselves into this model that mm -hmm. 
um, wasn't the right kind of capital provider for us. So I think that's been the biggest challenge for us is building homes is really capital intensive to do, mm -hmm. right? You imagine the cost of making a prototype could be, yeah. you know, $100,000 to $200,000, whereas the cost right. of having a website is, you know, your coding friend's time, right, for mm -hmm. yeah. three weeks. So I think the capital intensity of our business and the fact that we were trying to chase down the wrong kind of investors, I think those were two of the biggest hurdles we have. Mm -hmm. And are those things that you learned from already, like now are you moving on to different ways of approaching the situation? Yeah, we've, we've learned a lot. I mean, we learned to, who to, how to evaluate investors, mm. the right kind of yeah. investors, or the wrong kind of investors, and you only yeah. learn finding the wrong kinds of investors. Right, yeah. right. Interesting. From that. So yeah, we're, we've positioned our business differently. Um, COVID and the pandemic obviously had us rethink a lot of things. Um, mm -hmm. But now we're trying to understand, you know, what types of people would be incentivized and want to see the housing market change and, and mm -hmm. how can we find those people, I guess. Interesting. Brian, I have so many questions for you, but we'll be here for so many, so many hours. Uh, last question for you, Brian, what is your mindset moving over for moving on for, for the rest of 2021? We just started the new year. What does your mindset look like both personally and for your company? Um, I'd say my mindset is to start, you know, I, I feel like 2020 was just playing catch up. Um, mm. For our business, we were playing catch up because we were, you know, we needed to raise capital we weren't able to raise enough capital so we were sort of trying to keep our heads above water treading water and i think with a pandemic that's what you're trying to do as well you're just trying to not get coronavirus right yeah. trying to stay healthy so i think 2021 is about okay i like there's light at the end of the tunnel i can see the shore now instead of being in survival mode right <clears throat> kind of hand to mouth how do we get out of survival mode how do we get into a mode where we can start making more strategic decisions and we can start to make some, take some bigger risks. Um, I think that's really my mindset for 2021. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think, uh, 2020 was a blur. If you ask me, it's just like, I feel like yesterday was May and we're ready in January, 2021, but I couldn't agree more. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining us before we go. Uh, where can our viewers find you or listeners? Are you on Instagram, LinkedIn? Where can they check out module? Um, if that documentary, give us a little bit more about in, info on that and how we can see that as well. Yeah. So module housing, M O D U L E housing.com is our website. We're on Instagram at module housing, Twitter and Facebook. Um, and you can shoot me an email, Brian at modulehousing.com. And then the documentary is called within formal cities within formalcities.org is the website and people can watch the trailer there. Awesome, Brian. Thank you so much. And for our listeners, uh, is there any, uh, any insider uh, access that you can let them know about maybe when we can be seeing module housing down here in Miami? Um, Don't hmm. mean to put you on the spot like that. <laughs> well, no, we, we did go to a conference that Miami Lab Ventures ran. I think there was like a, there's like a uh, incubator space um, down in the arts area. I'm trying to think. There's like a co-working space there. So we actually did a pitch competition down there. We've had a couple of conversations. But, you know, we might do a project in the Southeast maybe in 2021 or 2022. But if any good realtors in Miami want to, you know, want to team up, then they know where to find me. You heard that, Ant? 
I got it. I'm taking notes, man. <laughs> awesome, awesome, Brian. Right. Thank you so much, brother. Have a good one. Thank you, guys. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of the Mindset Podcast. I'm sure you can agree when I say that Brian dropped some golden nuggets in today's conversation. I cannot wait till module housing is in the 305. If you're in Miami, sit tight because it is coming our way very soon. Now, if you're in Pittsburgh, I don't know what you're waiting for, brother, because it is in your city. Go hit up Brian. I linked their website in our show notes, so be sure to check that out if you're interested. Honestly, it's just like you're buying something on Amazon. It's that simple. Real estate has never been that simple before, but he is truly changing the game. With that being said, go have an amazing week and be great. Mindset out.